Hi, and welcome to that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Schmiederer. In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk. In the 21st century, our thing is a virtual place where Viking academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. So hold on to your helmets as we learn more about Vikings on that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. Today on the podcast, we've got a very special guest. You may know him from his best-selling series, Horrible Histories, books that children the world over enjoy thanks to all the gruesome bits and foul facts packed inside the cover. That's right, we're joined by the one and only Terry Deary. Hi, Terry. Thank you for being with us today. A lot of our listeners will know you best from your Horrible Histories books. How did those books come about? When you ask how did the books come about, it makes it sound as if it's a homogenous thing. But that would be like asking Roald Dahl, how did your children's books come about? But Witches is totally different to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which is totally different to James and the Giant Peach. And so I wouldn't want people to think that Horrible Histories is a homogenous series. In fact, I will tell you a secret. One of the reasons why Horrible Histories is so successful is there is no format. I don't look at a sort of shape and say, right, we're going to Tudor's today, let's fill in Tudor facts. Victorian tomorrow, same shape, fill in Victorian facts. Every book is different. But how the first one came about is it was never meant to be a history book. I'd written about 50 novels for children, And so I was seen as a a sort of safe pair of hands. You want a book written, go to Terry Deary and he'll deliver on time. And so they came to me and said, Terry, would you like to write for next Christmas a Father Christmas joke book? You know, this sort of thing. What was Tarzan's favourite Christmas song? And the answer is Jungle Bells, Jungle. (laughs) I I didn't say they were good jokes, but the book was very successful. And publishers have this thing. If you've got a success, just flog it till it's, uh, till it's dead, really. So next year, can you write a history joke book? Where did the French buy their guillotines? In the shopping centre. Boom! They thought some of these jokes were not great. So I'll tell you what, Terry, why don't you put in a few facts from history as well? Quirky, unusual facts. I said, well... I'm not a historian, but I get some researchers to do this for me. And I discovered, and the publishers discovered, that actually the facts were more interesting than the jokes. So we planned a joke book with facts, and we ended up with a fact book with jokes. And nobody had ever done that before. And suddenly, a rather dry subject, and I'm sure there are lots of historians out there, they will probably want to kill me for saying that, but history, for me, as a, certainly at school, was very dry, and a lot of children see it that way. And so a dry subject became fun and funny. They also did something very clever. Instead of using a children's book illustrator, they employed a cartoonist, Martin Brown. And a, there is a difference, as you'll appreciate. If you look at today's newspaper, you will see cartoons uh, scattered throughout. And that's what Martin did. He writes cartoons. 
And so instead of an illustrated book, we had a cartoon book and horrible histories were born. And oddly, they sold really well. And so the publishers came back for another two and I published four. And then came one of those moments in time where everything just comes together at the right moment. It, it's called a perfect storm, I think. And in 1995, they said, would I write about the Blitz? That was the next subject on their list. But 1995 happened to be the 50th anniversary of the end of World War II. I hope I've got my songs right. And the bookshops decided, let's make a feature of this. So they dug out Carrie's War and Goodnight Mr. Tom and Hitler Store Pink Rabbit. And along came this new title at the right time for the big promotion, Blitzed Brits. And suddenly they had something new and fresh. Not that there's anything wrong with Carrie's War or Goodnight Mr. Tom, but they had this new thing to promote. And I was sitting in, in the living room on a Sunday afternoon, and there's a programme with Griff Rhys-Jones called Bookworm. And he used to interview authors, talk about books and so on. And along the bottom of the screen, they used to have a ribbon of information. And this ribbon of information said, best-selling children's book this week, Horrible Histories, Blitz Brits by Terry Deary. I said, what? That, that, that's me, that's me. <laughs> and my wife, who was cooking Sunday dinner at the time in the kitchen next door, came through, what's the matter, what's the matter? I'm, I'm, I'm number one bestseller. Oh, she said, I thought there was something wrong. No. <laughs> so I was quickly put in my place, which is my wife's job, of course, and brought back down to earth. So Horrible Histories, on the back of the fifth book, became... Um, a best-selling series, and then people went back to the first four, the Egyptians, the Tudors, the Romans, and the Victorians, and they started to get the whip out and get me to write more and more horrible histories. There are probably about a hundred titles out there now, but as I say, everyone is different. It's a great advantage not being a historian for me, because that means I come to a subject fresh, I read widely, and I see a new pattern in every one. I don't just pour information into a prepared sort of format or jelly mold. And people know this. They know that when they come to horrible histories, they're going to be surprised. It's going to be unpredictable. That's how horrible histories came about. And I'm still writing them today, 28 years later. That's incredible. You mentioned kind of the uh, the peculiar facts that you put in into the original fact book with jokes, and that seems to be a common thread through a lot of the horrible histories books, particularly these these gruesome facts. Why do you think people react so well to the more gruesome side of history? Well, you'd have to ask a psychiatrist that, of course. <laughs> but uh, look at today's newspaper, any newspaper. And you don't get the good news stories. You do not get an old lady walked across the street in York today and safely reached the other side. No, they wouldn't publish that. An old lady crossed the street in York and was knocked over by a bus. And then you can add a, a bit more. As her granddaughter ran to help her, she was flattened by a lorry. They would be buried side by side. You're laughing, Mary. I can hear you chuckling, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you answer the question, 
why do you react so well to the gruesome side? You know, people enjoy uh, other people's misery. It's not, you know, it's not happening to me. Isn't it great? That could have been me flattened by a bus. It wasn't. Oh, poor woman. <laughs> and for me, it's not just about being gruesome. It's about what people have done to other people. Uh, a lot of the horrible history is about man's inhumanity to man, as it were, as the Bible says. And uh, I think it's a Bible, is it? I'm not a historian. And, um, and about human behaviour. And because I came from a theatrical background, my drama tutor always said, the purpose of theatre is to answer just one question. Why do people behave the way they do? And that's what I explore in my novels. And that's really what I explore in horrible history. You look at some sort of gruesome fact, the blood eagle by the Vikings, you know. Why do people behave like that? Why do they have to impose terror on other people? And then for me, I've gone further than my drama tutor. I want to answer the question, why do I behave the way I do? And so you look at something like the blood eagle, where you cut somebody's spine off their ribs, reach in and pluck out their lungs, and you've got to ask yourself, could I do that? What sort of person am I? And if the question, surprisingly, is, yeah, I could do that, then you know a little bit more about yourself. So this is the, the real purpose of horrible histories, like that of a playwright, or of a fiction writer exploring the question of human behaviour, not facts. And in the past, especially school books, have focused on facts. And the, the reason for that is you can test a fact. When was the Battle of Hastings? 1066 tick, 1067 cross. And that became the, the sort of focus of school history anyway. And horrible histories put in the facts, yes, but they put far more in about human behavior. So you mentioned your background in theater. Does that background then help you to find a, a sort of character or a narrative to follow between all of the historical facts? Yes, it's, it's all about me being an actor. I joined a theater company in Wales in 1972, and we were a community and schools theater group, and we toured. We went round tiny little villages, some one or two small towns, performed in church halls, school halls, anywhere we could find a place, and we told their stories back to them. This valley that was threatened with being flooded to make a dam was a great success because the people fought against it and stopped it, so we told their story. But nobody had written a play about that. We had to make up our own plays because um, we were telling their stories back to them. And after a while, it became obvious that I was the one in the company who was able to take all these disparate tales and knock them into some sort of shape. And I became almost the playwright for the company, even though that wasn't what I was employed for. I was employed mainly as a musician and actor to sing the songs but they found out I could write the stories as well and give them this dramatic shape. A bit like William Shakespeare, only I'm not quite a genius like him. And that's um, how I became a writer, really. I can see shape and pattern in stories and link the facts together in an entertaining way. 
so that I'm not page after page of facts. I've got an overarching storyline. And the one that 20 years ago got me into a lot of trouble was the balmy British Empire. When I came to the conclusion that actually the British Empire did more harm than good. And a lot of right-wing people wrote a lot of very abusive letters to me. And now, suddenly, after 20 years, I'm fashionable. And uh, people, are, people are saying, oh, yeah, the British Empire, what a terrible thing it was. But in those days, they said, you know, our British Empire brought civilization to the world. Barmy British Empire book talked about things like the slave trade and the development of various countries. But overall, the message was the British Empire was not a good idea. Rather than just throwing a collection of facts, I told that story, came up with a thesis and uh, proved it using my examples, which were pretty gruesome. And some of them are so gruesome, even now the publishers are saying, are you sure this is suitable for children? And I, I still have to fight my corner for um, some of the facts I put in. It is a very fine sort of balancing act between what will inform young readers and what will horrify them and give them nightmares. And people often ask me, are any of your facts banned? And I have to say, yes, sometimes the publishers say, you can't really put that in. And other times, and this is quite interesting, is because the world is changing, some of the facts that were acceptable 20 years ago are now seen as, oh, you can't say that. And it's called, uh, this is not very sensitive. It's insensitive. A young editor comes in and decides to redesign the book, comes across a fact, and now 20, 25 years on says, oh, this is insensitive. And I have to say, well, I'm sorry, but you could rename my book series Insensitive Histories. That's <laughs> what I do. I'm an insensitive person, and I tell the things that um, people don't want to hear. But the world is changing, probably in that respect, for the better. And horrible histories are having to modify, tone down some things, big up other things. One thing which I'm and vanity is a terrible thing, but I'm quite pleased with, is that um, over the years, feminism has risen to become far more potent force, thank goodness. And I've always, always tried to make sure that women are represented in horrible histories, whereas standard histories just about ignore them. Women didn't really exist unless they were a queen. And so I've always been keen to, to make sure history is about everybody and not just the kings and queens. Well, we definitely appreciate that. I mean, it's, you know, you might think that women were only invented 100 years ago from a lot of history books. So I think it's a really exactly. important thing. That's incredible. Yeah, exactly. So kind of linked to horrible histories, a lot of our listeners will, will know you from that, but you've recently started a new series of books called Peasants Revolting. So like you say, you want to include the, the, the little guy basically in all of these histories you're writing. Mm. Um, these, these books are more aimed towards adults. Why did you start writing them? It's a very unedifying characteristic. It's called rage, anger. You, you, you're supposed to suppress it. 
but I am very, very angry person when it comes to history books. You go into your local bookshop, Waterstones, and look at the bookshelves, and there they're arranged. Great heroes of history, you can find biographies of people like Lord Nelson and King Henry and wars and battle leaders and Napoleon, but they didn't actually make the world we lived in. It was the people who did the work. But if you're talking about Nelson, he was shot. Okay, fine. It served him right for sticking his stupid glittery head above the parapet. <laughs> he more almost invited himself to be shot. And there's now a theory that the Battle of Trafalgar wasn't that important, actually. It wouldn't have made much difference if Britain had lost it. Let me tell you a story. I love stories, right? The Battle of Copenhagen was far, or Camperdown, I can't remember which now, Camperdown maybe, was a far more important sea battle. And the British sort of admiral ship had its mast knocked over and the flag was brought down. And this is a sign of surrender. And if Britain, or yes, Britain at that time, had lost that battle, the Dutch would have invaded and the whole history of the world would have changed. And the Admiral at the time said, will somebody go up to the stump of the mast and mail the flag back on? The Admiral wasn't going to do it. So a young fellow from Sunderland called Jack Crawford said, I'll do it, sir. And under fire, he climbed the stump of the mast, mailed the colours back on, and Britain went on to win the battle and change the history of the world. That man, Jack Crawford, has a little statue in a Sunderland park. Lord Nelson, who did a far less brave thing, just getting themselves shot, has a huge statue in Trafalgar Square. You know, he's perceived as a hero. Come on, now let's look at the Jack Crawfords of this world. And now people who think I'm a historian, which I'm not, uh, say to me, who is your favourite character in history? And I've got to say, it's Mr and Mrs Peasant. They're the people who built the world we live in. Without them, we'd be nothing. So forget all your history books, well, don't forget them, but put them into a context and have a look at uh, how the peasants lived, worked, died, and what they contributed. Because a million peasants are far more important than one bloke stuck on a column in Trafalgar Square. Sorry, but it's rage, rage against this idea of elitism, picking out people, sticking them on a monument, and then writing endless books about them. Let's hear it for the peasants and the women and the children. That's incredible. No, and it's rage. It's <laughs> rage. I should not be ranting at you like this. That's it all right. It is not dignified. <laughs> I see other authors are interviewed and they are ever so polite. And he has me ranting. Look what you've done to me. It's all your fault. No, it's, a, it's perfect. We, we like a good rant. Oh, good um, <laughs> Similar to Peasants Revolting, I know that that's a series you're still currently working on, but um, what project are you working on right now? Um, I'm working on about five or six projects at the moment. Wow. Uh, a television series uh, called Dangerous Days. And again, it's very much looking at um, how the world came to, to be as it is through people who took risks. 
I'm working on a movie about the Great North Run, which has been postponed from last year. It's to celebrate the 40th anniversary. And I'm working on a new Horrible Histories title about railways. Oh, and that's uh, exciting. Well, people seem to, to like them. And uh, again, you know, it's the railways were very much bottom up that the miners needed transport and people like George Stevenson were, were very instrumental. And you couldn't have come from much of a poor background than George Stevenson. Now, George Stevenson is from Newcastle. I'm from Sunderland and Sunderland people don't like Newcastle. You've got to understand this. <laughs> this is very petty, you know, very parochial, but I'm sorry. Sunderland people don't like Newcastle people. So I'm disinclined to like George Stevenson until I discovered that in his old age, when he was famous and he'd done wonderful things around the world for railways, not once, but three times, he turned down a knighthood. And I thought, good for you, George. Suddenly, I'm your fan. Do not hold with privilege people who start with from poor backgrounds and then try to escape their backgrounds, deny them. Now, I came from a, a terribly poor background in Sunderland, and I'm not trying to escape it. I'm, I really hope that looking at the way I was brought up, and I won't go into my biography now, but that people, the peasants in this world, who come from no-hope backgrounds can look at me and say, well, he made something of himself, you know, maybe we can too. So that's why peasants revolting is so important. And that's why Horrible History of the Railways looks at some amazing stories about the people who built the railways. They, they were the real heroes and the sufferings they went through, the epidemics, the plagues, the hardships, and above all, the dangers. And the villains are the money men, the people who cashed in on their, the misery of the workers. Uh, to give a quick example, if you're going to put gunpowder in to blast a tunnel, you drill the hole, you put the gunpowder in, and then you pack the gunpowder down. And what you used to pack the gunpowder down was a copper rod. Why? Because copper doesn't spark. But the money men were such cheapskates, they gave one poor dynamiter or gunpowder expert a steel rod. He packed it in, it sparked, the steel rod shot out and went through his head, killing him. Oof. It also went through the head of the man standing behind him. Now, this is a horrible history story, but it's also a lesson that the, the rich and the powerful, the people who funded the railways, really were in it for profit. And never mind the misery of the peasants who suffered because they were too cheap to buy copper rods instead of steel. That's a lesson. It's not about the horror of a man getting a steel rod to his head. That's quite a quick way to go, really, isn't it? Um, it's about the, the villains who, um, who caused that. Wow. Especially at the moment, you mentioned the, the epidemics and the plagues and things, all the suffering that they did. I think that this year has been similar in some regards. How has the pandemic that we're currently going through, especially all this time in lockdown, affected your work? Well, it hasn't really. I'm a writer. So I sit in my room. It's a bit like uh, a poet in a garret, if I'm being romantic, you know, 
John Keats up in the attic, a freezing attic of a cold house, writing away nonstop. It, as a writer, I am blessed. Last year, which was for most people terribly, desperately unfortunate, especially if you owned a, a pub, last year, quite by chance, I'd been commissioned to write 10 children's books. And that just simply kept me busy. And so in that sense, the pandemic didn't affect me in the way it has so many, many people for whom my heart bleeds, you know. Um, my cousin used to run a pub and I'm glad he's out of it because these people must be devastated. My theatre friends, I've written two plays and performance this year and uh, they're saying, well, we hope to get on the road in May. You think, no, come on, you're dreaming. And, it's, um, and these people sort of owed me money from plays they did in 2019. And they said, we can pay you, but if we do, we'll go bankrupt. Can we sort of postpone the payment? Yeah, you've got to say yes, haven't you? That um, it's affected me uh, in that way. And the other thing I love doing is having creative meetings. And sorry, I love Zoom. It, it, it's it's great, but it's not the same as sitting in a room face to face with somebody, uh, making real eye contact. And um, I, and the other thing I love, and this is purely personal, I love jumping on a train in Durham and going to London for meetings. Uh, that trip, uh, which I make once or twice a month in 2019. They've all gone because nobody wants to meet me because I come from the, the plague in the north, don't I? <laughs> and I, I'm not allowed to meet them anyway. So I miss the meetings, I miss the train trips. But my work, I'm just so blessed that A, I'm a writer, and B, I have lots of projects to keep me busy. But I really do feel for the people who are suffering, people in the hospitality industry, people like my friends in Jorvik, who can't operate as normal yeah. and uh, it's you know when is the world going to get back to normal well i will tell you this as a secret okay mm -hmm. if the politicians stopped saying we are following the science because they made a, a bit of a pig's ear of it you know i won't go into the details but why don't they follow the history and if they look at history pandemics last about 18 months and then it's over. So we're due to come out of it in July, August. You heard it here first from me, right? Listen to the history just for a change. We are coming out of the pandemic in July or August. It gets to July or August and we're still in it. You can poke fun at me and poke, <laughs> throw, throw stones at me and say, you promised, you promised, you horrible man. So, uh, It'd be interesting to see, won't it? Well, come July or August, I'm going to call you and, and we'll, we'll have yep. a little update to see what's going on then, okay? I know, I know. <laughs> I put my neck on the line here. I think that brings us to our final question. What's one interesting fact that your fans might not know about you? But the most important thing in my life isn't writing books, it's running. I'm a runner. I've just passed my 75th birthday and I'm still running and I'm getting such a, a good fitness regime now I'm faster than I was five years ago and wow. I'm still doing the Great North Run which I've done 22 times and this year I did a virtual Great North Run 
and beat my previous time from the previous fortnight for two years by 20 minutes. Wow. So I'm a runner and I look outside my window and what I look at is the wind speed, the rain and think, where shall I run today? And that's more important than writing books to me. Sorry, fans. No, no. I'm a runner. And it, it, running keeps you active. It sends oxygen around my brain and lets me write books. So if it wasn't for running, I probably wouldn't write any more horrible histories. I'd be a vegetable. Not a lot of people know that. Well, I think that's all of our questions for today. Thank you so much for, for doing this interview. We really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. And all the best to you and to all my readers and the, the people who listen to this. I hope you get through the pandemic safe and well. Thanks again, Terry. You can find Terry Deary's wide array of books from Horrible Histories to his new series, Peasants Revolting, at all good bookstores. Speaking of books, that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is an Audible associate. If you sign up for a free 30-day Audible trial using the code VIKINGTHING-21, you'll get a free audiobook download, and you'll also be supporting your favorite Viking podcast. Even better, the audiobook is yours to keep forever, no strings attached. This time, we recommend Horrible Histories, Vicious Vikings by, of course, Terry Deary. Listen to Terry himself tell you all the foul facts about vicious Vikings, including Viking gods in wedding dresses, corpses on trial, and death by booby-trapped statues. Thank you for listening to That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support That Jorvik Viking Thing, visit jorvikthing.com to make a donation as well as to find a whole horde of viking related content don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of that jorvik viking thing podcast That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Jorvik Group and York Archaeological Trust, researched by Miranda Schmiederer and Ashley Fisher, produced by Ashley Fisher, sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.